Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. We're so grateful that you found us. The JCBC Podcast is a collection of sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. Right now, we're in a new series. It's called How to Be Human. We hope if you're in town or close by, you'll stop in and join us 11 o'clock Sunday mornings. Until then, subscribe and follow along. And if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And I want to pick up in verse 28. I'll be reading today from the message version. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the reading of the terribly inviting Word of God. Would you pray with me now? God, today you have our mind's attention and our heart's affection in this moment. We can't always say that that's true, because it's not always true. Most of our living is done with what's right in front of us. And sometimes we are oblivious to the holy that is in and around us at all times. But for right now, in this moment, as a confession to you, we simply declare into the universe and directly to you that you've got us. So we pray that your spirit would enable us, empower us, equip us to lean into this holy moment so that when we leave this place, if we can say nothing else, we will be able to say that we have been in the company of you. And everything else will be just fine. We pray these things now in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. So today we return to this series, How to Be Human. For 15 weeks now, we've been chasing a truth that we find in Holy Scripture. The truth is that you and I and all of us and every one of us on the planet have been created in the beautiful image and likeness of God, the image of God with God's own DNA coursing through us, the likeness of God, the the capacity to live like God in the world. And we have been agreeing these many weeks with the psalmist when the psalmist declares, what are human beings that you're mindful of them? What are mortals that you even care for them? Yet you have created them just a little lower than God and have crowned them with glory and honor and 
We confess this to be true because the Word tells us and promises us something that beautiful. At the same time, you and I both know that we don't always live up to and into that highest identity as people created in the image of God. That's why we needed a Savior to come and show us how to do it, to come and show us, to rescue us from ourselves and demonstrate the way, the truth, the life. So we listen to his promise. I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. And these many weeks, what we've been chasing down are all of those unique experiences that are lenses through which we see our lives, experiences, encounters that are very real and very human and very right in front of us. We've been trying to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be human when you fail or when you're afraid? We've talked about how to see our own vulnerabilities and what to do when we blow it and how to extend and seek forgiveness from one another, and all these many experiences. Today, I want want to put one more out in front of us. An experience that all of us know, and it's an experience that at times, if gone unexamined or unchecked, this particular experience can threaten to undermine the very fullness of life that Jesus died to provide for us. Can I just tell you what that experience is? exhaustion. Anybody know what it's like to just to be pooped? To be work weary? To somehow blur the lines between work and play, between production and rest? Maybe you're a little bit like the little girl who saw her father come home again and again with work and this briefcase bulging with extra papers and things to do. And he'd come home and then open it up and keep working. And after a while, she asks her mother, why is it that dad keeps bringing home work? Why does he work here also? And the mother said, well, because daddy has a lot to do at work and sometimes he can't get it all finished in time and has to bring it home. To which the little girl said, hmm. Well, why don't they just put him in a slower group? (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) Right? But we all know what what it's like to blur the lines between work and rest. But that's not the kind of work or exhaustion I'm talking about. You know, just being tired from work sometimes is a good thing. It means we've, we've done something that day. It means we've attempted to matter in the world. It's okay to be tired, work-weary from time to time. It's okay. But what I'm talking about is a deeper kind of profound soul weariness. I'm talking about what I've said over the last two years. I see in the faces of people I love a kind of existential exhaustion. So tired and so over it. You begin to wonder, what's it even matter? What am I even doing? And where's this whole thing going? Existential exhaustion exhaustion that makes you just feel like you're running on fumes you know january the 25th 1990 avianca flight 52 out of columbia crashed about 15 miles from kennedy airport in new york killing all 73 people on board it ran out of gas 
seems impossible because airlines are supposed to be able to carry enough fuel to get you to the destination and enough extra fuel to go to a different destination if needed and enough extra fuel to be delayed if there are delays. When the pilot noticed that they were low on fuel, he, he radioed in and, 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 and requested a priority landing. But because he used the phrase priority landing rather than emergency landing, he was put in a holding pattern and they ran out of gas, ran out of fuel. And, and I can promise you this today, that there is someone listening right now here on campus or at home, and you know what it's like to be running on fumes. You know what it's like to have an existential exhaustion, and, and yet you and everybody around you just kind of think that it may be a kind of priority to give it some priority, but I want to declare to you that I believe it constitutes something of an emergency. Because if we live weary, if we walk weary through our lives, it poses a threat that can undermine the very fullness of life that Jesus came and died in order to provide. The good news is that there is a remedy. There really is. There's a remedy, and it goes by a name, Sabbath. And all through scriptures, there is weaved this invitation to what I'm defining as a divine rhythm of renewal and rest. A divine rhythm of rest and renewal where you are invited to lay down your burdens and be resold. Now, the trouble with that, it sounds pretty good, right? It sounds pretty good if there could be a rhythm to our restfulness. A Sabbath rhythm that makes us new all over again every week. It sounds pretty good. The problem is we stink at that. We do. It's like Diana Bass in her wonderful book, Keeping Sabbath. She described one Saturday night, which she's a writer, theologian, professor, brilliant woman. She and some colleagues were having dinner other professors, and they were all complaining about how much work they had to do over the weekend, which meant they're going to have to work all through Sunday the very next day. One had an exam to put together. Others had papers to grade. But she said, the longer I listened to us talk and complain, the less it sounded like complaining and the more it sounded like bragging. Look how many people need me. Look how important I am. Look how valuable my work is to everyone. And then she went on to say, what's interesting is that we all understand that the command to take Sabbath is a commandment, not a suggestion. And yet, we don't approach any of the other commandments with the same kind of cavalier abandon, right? We, we break the fourth commandment to remember Sabbath all the time. At Barbara Brown Taylor says we break it with flair, Proud of the way we are so busy that we can't stop and rest. But we don't treat the other commandments that way. It's not like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, Monday? Oh, I do, I do all my killing on Monday, so I'll be murdering tomorrow. How about, how about Tuesday? Well, I'll be committing adultery on Tuesday, but then Wednesday I'm, I'm booked up. That's when I do my graven images, you know. And yet we understand this is ridiculous, and yet we still can't stop it. In fact, we just still can't stop at all. 
It's so embedded in the bloodstream, so in the DNA of who we are as Western-minded folks, most of us Western-minded folks, others, we're, we're part of this Protestant work ethic, which is a phrase that has always confused me. We always believe that it's important to work, to not stop moving, to keep producing, because our value is defined by what we can produce. The Protestant work ethic, which is always a crazy phrase in my mind, because Protestants were the ones who left the church because we believe that salvation comes by grace through faith and not of our works. And yet we behave in this world as if everything depends on our work, that we're trying to prove the value of us and the, the savability of us through what we do. I bet you could finish some phrases that are just part of our vernacular, right? Because you know, say it out loud, that a rolling stone gathers no moss. Yeah. You also know that idle hands are what? The devil's work, yeah, workbench, workplace, workshop, whatever. That's true. We know those things. We know that intimately because you don't want to stop. You want to keep moving, keep producing, keep doing. We know all about that. You know what we haven't the foggiest idea what to do with is Psalm 46. Be still. And know that I am God. So that's why today I want to talk about Sabbath. But I don't just want to talk about it today. I'm going to keep talking about it next week. A two-part mini-series as a part of the How to Be Human series on Sabbath. But for today, all I need you to consider is this. What does it really mean to rest? Will you think with me for just a moment more about rest, R-E-S-T? Because when I think of the power of Sabbath, the invitation to come and lighten the burden, to cast our cares before him, to be renewed from within, I think that Sabbath reminds us why. Reminds us why. So in Exodus, where we are introduced to the command in the midst of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, this is what we read. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. In this command, we're not just given the order, the commandment, but we are also given the reason. We are to remember and keep holy the Sabbath because God did. And we are created in the image and likeness of God. That means that we live in this world in such a way as to model or reflect as mirrors the very character and nature of God. And God rested on the seventh day. But here's what's interesting. Did God need rest? Was God work-weary? Is that why he needed to rest? What, did, did God go through a season of existential you know, exhaustion? No, our God does not weary as mortals weary. I believe the psalmist, when the psalmist tells us that God does not, does not slumber nor sleep, but God disengaged from creating 
in order to re-engage in relationship with all God had created. I hear something uncreating up there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, God disengaged from creating in order to re-engage in relationship. Now, this is key. After six days, six sequences of creativity, of imagination, of creative imagination and imaginative creativity, God designs one day, another day, and all the stuff that comes out of those days. And in the seventh day, God creates space for God to cease labor in order to turn and re-engage in relationship with all that God had made. This is why Sabbath matters. Because all of the work that you and I consider worth our lives, well, the work is worthy only if at the end of the week or somewhere in the midst of the rhythm, we're able to free some space in order to enter relationship for a relationship with all those for whom we've been working all along. When I think about what Karl Barth, the 20th century theologian, said about it, I really, he sums it all up. In this way, God declares as fully as possible just how very good creation is. See, by resting, God takes pleasure in what has been made. God has no regrets, no need to to go on to create a still better world or or a creature more wonderful than the man and woman. In the day of rest, God's free love toward humanity takes the form of time shared with them. When was the last time you came to a space in the rhythm of your week where you carved out nothingness, you carved out unproductivity in order to turn and engage in the gift of relationship? with all those for whom and with whom and around whom you've been working all along. See, Sabbath reminds us why. Sabbath reminds us why we're here and why we do what we do. Sabbath is a forced work stop in order to remember that we were made as human beings and not human doings. Yeah, Sabbath reminds us why. But Sabbath doesn't just remind us why. Sabbath eliminates, eliminates the illusion of indispensability. Sabbath eliminates the illusion of indispensability. Nobody can do what I do. In fact, it's just a bad time for me to pause and take a breath because everybody depends on me. I have so much to do because I'm the only one who knows how to do my job. And and of course, we're short-staffed a little bit right now. As long as we just get over the hump and after the presentation is done and maybe after the staff is fully filled out and after the, the, the second quarter, maybe then I can take a rest, but I just can't, see. We cloak the violation of rest. We cloak it with language that sounds so noble When all the while, just beneath it, it's an illusion of indispensability, as if this world won't turn on its axis if I don't spin it. Yeah. And you know who's the worst? Pastors. Can you handle a little pastoral vulnerability here? Truth is, I I attempt to take an off day each week and fail at it miserably each week. 
Maybe somebody will come up to him and say, hey, when's your off day? Uh, why? Well, because I thought we'd get together on your off day. I've got some concerns about the church I'd like to share with you. You know, sounds like a blast. <laughs> but, 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 but in reality, it's, it's, I'll attempt to take a day like Friday. But friends, if the day, if the week has been full and there is no sermon by Friday, guess what Saturday morning is? Until about mid-Saturday afternoon is getting ready because you people expect this to happen every Sunday. And then by grace, if it's finished by one or two on Saturday afternoon, I'm giving you a normal look into the crazy life of your pastor. Then maybe there's a few hours there in the afternoon when I can breathe for a moment and do something that maybe recreates me. But then by supper, Laura will tell you that sometime around dinner or a little thereafter, I'll get the pastoral glaze. And I'll gloss over because now I'm thinking about this and, and I've got to put the dolls in motion. I've got to do the things. In the, and, and also I'm thinking, you know, gosh, it just snuck up on me this week. I, I could have made one more phone call. I could have followed up with that email. I could have, I could have, I could have. Meanwhile, there is this space collapsing. Do you know what it's like to live with the illusion of indispensability? Yeah. As if the world spins on the axis of you. It reminds me of what Joel Gregory said about the, the barnyard tragedy. Do you know about the barnyard tragedy? There was this rooster and lived on a barn, lived in a barn with the hens and the goats and the sheep and the cows. And every morning when the sun came up, the rooster would crow and would wake up the hens and the sheep and the goats and the cows and even wake up the farmer and the farmer's wife and and it was great. This went on for years and years until ultimately, as Gregory says, this rooster fell into some foul logic. Yeah. You can see roosters are birds. And I find that jokes are funnier if you explain them. So. He fell into some foul logic because he stopped believing that it was time to crow because the sun came up and he began to believe that the sun came up because he crowed. So he became an insomniac rooster. And he stayed up all night because if I don't crow, that sun won't rise, the hens won't lay eggs, and the farmer won't come to tend the farm. See, then of course, ultimately, he was carried off to the home for disturbed roosters. But you know what I'm talking about because there are times when we live exhausted, we walk weary through our world because... We think the sun comes up because we crow. Sabbath is where God says, be still and know that I am God and you are not. See, Sabbath eliminates the illusion of indispensability. When was the last time you stopped in your awesomeness? to recognize the world doesn't spin on the axis of me, but by God's grace, I can relax. So Sabbath not only reminds us why, it not only eliminates the illusion of indispensability. You know what else it does? Sabbath. Sabbath sustains our God-given humanness. Don't forget, this series, I've been attempting to remind us, humanness is good. 
humanness is made by God and blessed by God. But in our working, in our exhaustion, we can forget that our humanness has limitations. Maybe you're like the little girl. The, the photographer came to the elementary school for school pictures, and he was making small talk with the kids and, and said to her, when you grow up, what are you going to be? She said, tired. <laughs> kind, of, kind of right, right? The truth is, it, gone unchecked, that's all we'll be, is tired. Because we work and work and work and work and we never stop and we never allow there to be space for relationship and recreation. See, God knew that if it were up to us, we would never choose Sabbath. That's why God commanded it. It's not part of the 10 suggestions for happier living. It's part of the 10 commandments. And later in Exodus 35, when he begins to talk about this covenant and what it looks like to be in a relationship, what it looks like for, for God to be God and for us to be God's people, he made it non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. In verse 2, this is what we read. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy Sabbath of solemn rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Yikes. Put a damper on travel baseball in a hurry, wouldn't it? Too soon? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the problem is we know we're not going to be put to death. We're, our New Testament ears filter what we hear. If you violate Sabbath, if you don't rest, you'll be put to death. We, we, we roll our eyes and assume it's not, we're not going to be put to death. It's not going to kill us. Isn't it? Killing us? In her amazing book, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamott talks about this. This is what she said. She said, we are all punished when it comes to this sin. But what's important to understand is that we are punished not because of the sin of breaking Sabbath, but we are punished by the sin of breaking Sabbath. Isn't that right? When we don't stop and we continue on this treadmill of production, of performance, of seeking value through what I can do and prove about myself to God and the world around me, it leaves nothing left at the end of the week or somewhere in the rhythm to turn and have relationship with your spouse, your children, your parents, your neighbors. It leaves no room for you to have time to love yourself, which is a slow death. It does kill us. And Sabbath, see, Sabbath is what sustains our God-given humanness. It gives a rhythm to our work so that we might rehumanize once a week in this dehumanizing world. The way I like to think about it is Sabbath is like this, I don't know, this release valve in the dehumanizing pressure cooker of overwork and exhaustion. That's what Sabbath does. Sabbath reminds us why. Sabbath eliminates the illusion of indispensability. Sabbath sustains our God-given humanness. You know what else it does? Maybe best of all, Sabbath 
teaches us to trust. Do you realize that it's an act of faith to keep Sabbath? And by that, I mean it's a leap of faith to assume that the work will end up getting done. It's a leap of faith to trust that somehow in God's good way, God will allow there to be enough because part of the reason we don't keep Sabbath well and we don't rest and we keep producing and keep moving is because of fear, a fear of scarcity, that there won't be enough money and there won't be enough of me and there won't be enough of time. So I better go ahead and work now and get it all done. But Sabbath takes faith to stop and believe that on the other side of rest, God will be found faithful, faithful to me, to you. See, there's a beautiful story in Exodus chapter 16. And in this part of the Exodus story, the people are eating manna. God is providing manna from heaven, this bread-like flaky substance that you collect off the ground when the dew comes. And, and the command to them is, look, I'm going to provide for you. And here's the arrangement. I'll take care of you. You be my people. I'll be your God. That's the arrangement. I'm going to love you. And you just do what I say, and you're going to be fine. So when you collect the manna, collect enough for one day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just one day. But there were some in the camp who, who believed that's just not good planning. I mean, that's not good stewardship. I mean, there's all this extra manna left over. So they took their Egyptian Tupperware that they had stolen and taken with them from Egypt and they put extra in there, burped it, put it in their, in their tents. And, and the next day, the, the, see, and this is what we do. We cloak it with noble language. I'm just doing this for my family, see. I'm just doing this extra stuff because for, for you so you can have what you, you need so that we don't go hungry, so we can have all the things that you want and need so they do this under the noble idea that we'll save this so my family's not starving tomorrow. But they wake up in the morning, and it's a beautiful story. They open up their containers, and all the extra that they had collected, which they were not supposed to, was now infested with worms, maggots, and, and, and reeked with a stench that was unbearable. And it's as if God was saying, when you don't trust me, it reeks with the, the stench of untrust and worry. This is not what faith is all about. Faith is about believing that I will take care of you today like I did yesterday, and I will provide for you tomorrow in the same way that I'm providing today. And why? Because that's how this works. You are my people. You are my sons and daughters, and I am your God. Sabbath is an opportunity to remember that God is good at this and, and that we can relax. Sabbath is a good opportunity to practice trust. And I love the way Wayne Mueller said it. Wayne said, the Sabbath rocks us and holds us until we remember who we are. See, our overwork causes us to forget Maybe we do need to run the world. Maybe we do need to keep the earth spinning on its axis. But Sabbath is a, well, it's a stop in that faulty thinking where God picks us up, holds us, rocks us until we remember who we are. Now, next week, I want to talk specifically about how. 
I want to get really specific next week about how to create radical sabbaticals in every day, every week, every month, every year of your life. I want to talk specifically. And next week, we're going to talk about what it means to pray and to play. Next week, I'll give you the reason why Laura and I started three weeks ago Latin dance lessons. (laughs) Yeah, hold on. But that's next week. That's next week. For today, here's what I want you to hear, my beloved sisters and brothers, tired as you may be, weary as you may feel. You don't need permission to rest. You've been commanded. Maybe you're hearing everything that I'm saying, though, today, and And it sounds so inviting to be reprieved, to to create some space, but you don't know what to do about it. Well, listen, this is what's so hard. In the creation story, just one more. You got time for one more? The creation story, there's a lot that gets left on the pastor's cutting room floor, but I got to give you this one. Creation story, six days of production. And do you know what it says in Genesis chapter 2? Brian, if you can find that toward the beginning. Genesis chapter 2 where he describes what happens in the seventh day. And after all that had been completed, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the multitude. And on the seventh day, God, watch this, finished, which is an action verb. God did something on the seventh day. God finished the work that he had done and he rested, another action verb, on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed, another action verb, on the seventh day, and hallowed it, another action verb, because on it God rested, another one, from all the work that he had done in creation. What's my point? God had to work at creating rest. He had to create a day in which to rest. That's work. And if God had to work at resting, so do you. That means we have to create space. Next week, I want to tell you all about how we might try to do that together.